The last couple of weeks, Dr. Kent Brandley has been in the news. He is that 33-year-old missionary doctor with a Samaritan purse that contracted Ebola after ministering to those patients with that highly contagious disease in Liberia. It's been in the headlines. Finally, we have something positive in the representation of Christianity to our our world. We should be moved by the compassion of this missionary doctor that was and is willing to risk his own life in order to try to alleviate the suffering and misery and death of others. It really is a Christ-like attitude and spirit. Dr. Brantley is demonstrating what it is to have true compassion towards others. The theme of this morning's message is that Jesus manifests true, genuine, or authentic compassion in caring for others. We want to look at Jesus' compassion in caring for others this morning. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you're not there yet, to Mark chapter 5. We are in Mark this morning because it is a parallel account to Matthew chapter 9, I've been preaching through Matthew, but this is a much fuller account than is in Matthew, and I found myself referencing it a number of times, so I thought it would just be a lot simpler to look at this account and uh, stay here this morning as we think about Christ demonstrating compassion. First, Jesus manifests true compassion in time of great urgency. Mark 5:21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. A man comes to Jesus with great need. It's a man of importance and influence. Verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. A ruler of the synagogue would not have been a priest, but would have been an administrator. He would have been one that would oversee the daily ministration of the synagogue observance. A very important individual in the Jewish faith. The man has a genuine need. Notice what he says in verse 23. He implored earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. She's dying. She has a terminal illness. And the man makes an understandable request. Notice verse 23. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. A person of faith, confidence, believing that Jesus is able to heal his daughter and asks Jesus to do just that. So Jesus departs to presumably help the man and his daughter. Verse 24. And he, that is Jesus, went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, Jesus 
takes time to manifest compassion to a woman in great need. This is the second scene. On the way to Jairus' home, Jesus is approached by a woman. The woman has great need as well. And the need is described as follows. First, this woman had an unpleasant illness for 12 long years. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So she had put up with this for a lengthy period of time. The woman had experienced a great deal of pain and suffering. Notice verse 26. And who had suffered much under many physicians. She'd gone to a lot of different doctors. How they sought to treat this, I don't know. Evidently, this discharge probably is associated with her her menstrual cycle, and and, uh, she has this ongoing bleeding disorder, and uh, it's creating a lot of difficulty, a lot of hardship for her. And she goes to doctor after doctor, and it says that she suffered a lot of things at their hands. I don't think that is to be understood that they weren't compassionate or caring for her, but it does speak to the kind of barbaric medical procedures that were available at that period of time. They probably did a lot of things that caused her a great amount of physical pain. Probably not just in the procedure, but then in the repercussions as to what happened as a result of these procedures. And then to add insult to injury, all her money had been consumed on her treatment. Notice verse 26, who had suffered many, under many physicians and spent all that she had. All her money, all her life savings, all her earnings had been used up in trying to find a cure for this disease that she'd had for 12 years. She's now penniless. And lastly, the woman had nothing to show for all her pain, suffering, heartache, expenditure, and sacrifice, verse 26, and was no better, but rather grew worse. That's a miserable situation to be in, to be sure. But the woman finds a cause for hope. She heard what Jesus was able to do, verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus, how he had healed so many, after how he had cast out demons, how he had demonstrated great powers. She heard of these reports, and she believed that Jesus could help her. And so she devised a plan. Verse 28. She said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She focused all her hope upon Jesus. And she said to herself, If somehow I can wangle it, that I can just touch the hem of his garment. I'm going to be better. 
I'm going to be healed. She had great hope, and we find great faith. And so she follows through on her plan, verse 27. She'd heard the reports about Jesus, and so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. And her plan was successful, verse 29. Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Seems like that ought to be the end of the story, and we just move on. But Jesus doesn't let her go in that particular state of mind and condition. But he continues to have compassion upon her. And I want to look at this intentional compassion of Jesus on this woman. First, Jesus, knowing what took place, asked the question, verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Notice he didn't say, Who touched me? Who touched my garments? He knew what was in the mind of this woman. He knew who she was. He knew what she had done. And to single her out, he asked the question, Who touched my garments? The disciples are perplexed by the question. Notice verse 31. And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around, and you say, Who touched me? Everybody's jostling into you, Jesus. They're thronged. They can hardly move. And they said, And you're asking who touched me? No. He's asking, Who touched my garments? The woman comes and confesses before Jesus. Notice verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman knew she was the one that Jesus was referring to. Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, the woman came to Jesus afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of what Jesus would say and do. Notice verse 35. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. Why was this woman in fear and trembling? I believe the answer is because she knew that what she had done was sinful. Yes, let me say that again. She knew what she had done was sinful. You see, because the law had said that a woman in her condition was unclean. And she was not to come into physical contact with anyone. Listen to Leviticus 15, 25 and following. If a woman has a discharge of blood 
for many days, not at the time of her menstrual cycle, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of the impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and shall be unclean until the evening. This unclean woman had reached out and touched Jesus. In so doing, she had been selfish. Selfish, you say? Yes. Because of the rules for uncleanness were not to shame or to belittle an individual, the rules for uncleanness was in order to stop the spread of disease. It was so that that which was contagious could not be passed on to another. Now, was this woman's condition contagious? I don't know, but by the law, she was set apart so that she would not touch other people. Now, we could argue and say, well, yeah, but she had faith in Jesus, so she knew that she wouldn't touch Jesus and make him sick. Ah. But she's in a throng. She's in a crowd where Jesus is being jostled all around. They said, are you asking who touched you? Loads of people touched you. I submit to you that she came into contact with a whole lot of people that day. Not just Jesus. She had to make her way to him in a crowd. She didn't do that by contortions so that she never touched a single soul but Jesus. She wasn't worried about other people. She wasn't concerned about their well-being. She was focused. She wanted to be healed. We can understand it. We get it. But now this woman, who's been outed by Jesus, is in fear and trembling. What's Jesus going to say? Notice the woman confessed her sin. Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him, and now these words, and told him the whole, look at that last word, truth. Not the whole story. Not the whole plan. The whole truth. She bared her soul. She acknowledged what she had done. She was honest in what she said. She was throwing herself at the mercy of Jesus. She's at his feet with fear and trembling, telling him 
what he had done. Jesus responds with compassion. Notice, first, he refers to her as daughter, an endearing term, verse 34. And he said to her, daughter. And then he says these words. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. The wellness in this verse, in the Greek, is the word to save. To save. It would be a very good translation to translate this, your faith has saved you. And in fact, I believe that that is what Jesus is saying. That she has been healed in the fullest sense of the word, not just physically, but spiritually as well. He's pronouncing her forgiveness. For I see that in three things. First, refers to her as a daughter. A child of his. Secondly, he says to her in verse 34, go in peace. Go in peace. Here is the compassion of Jesus. She doesn't have to be guilty for what she had done. She didn't have to second guess herself. She didn't have to go home And think about all the people she had touched that day and the selfishness that she had manifested, the self-centeredness in which she had acted, and the lack of concern that she demonstrated towards others. He said, be at peace. It's okay. It's okay. And then lastly, he says, and be healed of your disease. Be healed of your disease. But you say, but she already knew that she was healed because she felt it. Her impurity dried up. She, she knew that she was healed, but he says to her, be healed of your disease. Well, as you go on in Leviticus chapter 15, according to the law, she had to go back seven days later and present herself to the priest in order to be truly clean. Jesus bypasses all of that and says, you're healed. Don't have to come back seven days. Don't have to present yourself to the priest. Don't have to wonder if this is a temporary cure. You're healed. It's over. It's done. So he was compassionate. And then Jesus was compassionate for he did not allow her to continue in her state of unbelief. Now you say, wait a minute. What do you mean continue in a state of unbelief? She had faith and Jesus acknowledges that faith. Well, let's think about it for a moment. First, she should not have touched Jesus. She came up with a scheme. 
She came up with a scenario. She devised a plan. And that is, if I touch him, I'm going to get better. Plan worked. There was nothing magical in this. Others bumped into Jesus. They didn't get healed. So Jesus points out it was her faith. What are we to understand by that? Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Or your faith has saved you. What does that mean? Her faith had saved her. First, what it does not mean. It wasn't her faith in faith. In other words, the faith was not the source of the power. It's not like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Let me put it to you in other words. If she would have said, if I touch the garment of Joe Schmo, I will be healed. And if she believed wholeheartedly, if she believed 100% that if she would have touched the garment of Joe Schmo, and she would have gone to the same extent, gone to the same lengths, made the same risks, had all the same commitment, and touched the garment of Joe Schmo, guess what would have happened? Nothing. It wasn't faith in faith. It was faith in Jesus that made her better. But number two, it wasn't a mystical or magical thing. She said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Do you remember Leviticus chapter 15? Anything she touches becomes defiled. Her garments are defiled. Anything she sits on, anything that comes in contact with her flesh, she's defiled. She can spread that disease to someone else. So now, this woman who understands that garments can carry disease and defile a person, focuses her attention on Jesus' garment and says, if I can just touch his garment, I will be clean. And I'll be healed. It's not Jesus' garment that heals this woman. If he would have discarded that garment and she would have found it along the side of the road, and she would have come up with great faith and great confidence and said, if I just touched that garment, I'm going to be better, guess what would have happened? Nothing. It wasn't the garment that healed this woman. It was Jesus that healed this woman. Power went out of him, verse 30, it says. 
Jesus healed her. And in his compassion, he took this woman of faith and brought her to greater faith, more accurate faith, saving faith in Jesus. For he is concerned about all of her needs, not just her physical well-being. She had not understood how it worked. But Jesus had healed her, forgave her, and restored her to society with no restrictions. Jesus had true compassion on this woman and met all her needs. Now next, Jesus manifests compassion to Jairus and his daughter. Jesus receives terrible, uh, excuse me, Jairus receives terrible news, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Now think about this. Here is poor Jairus. Remember, all this happens on the way to healing his daughter, who he says is at the point of death. We find out it's no exaggeration. She dies as he's on the way. Now, can you imagine Jairus, how perturbed, disgruntled, frustrated he must be as they are traveling along that Jesus stops. Whole procession comes to a halt. Jesus says, who touched me? The disciples even question, well, why are you asking that, Jesus? There's all these people around here. They all touched you. Jairus must have thought, what are you doing, Jesus? Let's get moving here. My, my daughter's dying. He's waiting for a response. This woman comes up to him. Must have taken some time. He's standing there. He's dialoguing with this woman. I doubt we have all the words that transpired between them. And Jairus is waiting there. Hoping that they get to his house before his daughter dies. Well, doesn't happen. Verse 35, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But Jesus reassures Jairus. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. It's not too late. So Jesus ministers in private, verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. Jesus encounters the mourners, verse 38. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. Verse 39. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. They're weeping, they're wailing, they're they're carrying on. He said, there's no reason to do that. The child's not dead, but sleeping. How quickly their mood changes and their lack of compassion is revealed. Verse 40, they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. 
You know, that's not a very compassionate thing to do. Here is Jairus. His daughter has just died. Sounds like a rather outlandish statement to them. But they have no qualms in squelching this man's hope and desires. And they laugh and and mock at Jesus. So Jesus removes them from the situation, verse 40. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He's not going to vindicate himself or prove himself to them. He allows the parents and Peter and James and John witness to the miracle. Verse 40. And took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And Jesus had compassion on the girl. He took her by the hand. Now, he didn't need to do that. Why does he do that? It's rather striking. I don't think we're to miss it. This is the second occasion in this text in which Jesus would have been defiled by touching someone. Numbers 19.11. The one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. By the law, he should not have touched her. But he does. Intentionally. He touches her. He referred to her in endearing terms. Takes her by the hand. Said to her, Tabitha Kumai, uh, uh, which means little girl. He commanded her to arise. I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And when they were immediately overcome with amazement, uh, and they were ev- immediately overcome with amazement. And then we have these words Jesus charges the witnesses to be silent. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. It's not the only occasion. We found out before, Jesus sometimes charges people not to say anything. But this one is curious. Very first thing I did, you know, when I, I, I make notes when I work through a passage of things that I think I need to answer, things that I need to think about. This was one. Wrote myself a little note. Why did he say, don't tell anyone? The girl is alive. Duh. Okay. It's not a secret. It's not a secret. All those people that were there, knew that she was dead. And when Jesus said she wasn't, they laughed at him. We know she's dead. I don't think she spent the rest of her life in her room. She was out and about town. And people knew that the Jesus had healed her. 
It wasn't a secret. So, why would Jesus say, don't tell anyone? I actually believe it's the key to the whole passage. I actually believe it is the centerpiece of what we are to learn from these two stories that are intertwined. Why? Answer, because Jesus had not healed her to add to his fame or even merely to reveal something about himself or his character. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus was not showing or demonstrating compassion. He was manifesting compassion. I want to draw that distinction. He wasn't showing or demonstrating or modeling compassion. He was manifesting compassion. Jesus was manifesting true, genuine, authentic compassion. Here is a practical application of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored and seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward thee openly. Jesus had not healed this woman to show off. Jesus had not healed this woman to further his own fame. Jesus had not healed this woman to reveal truth to us, even though all those things are true. Jesus healed this woman and raised this child because he had compassion on them. Let me put it to you in different terms. It's not unusual on Thanksgiving Day, to see perhaps on the news, video feed, picture in the paper of someone, maybe even the President of the United States, stopping by a homeless shelter, ladling out some soup, and handing it to a homeless person. Okay? Which is a photo op. An opportunity for the president to look compassionate, concerned, and caring for the homeless, and then he's gone, and you don't see him for the rest of the year. Ten minutes, gets his picture taken, and he goes. That's not what's happening here. This is not a photo op. This is not an opportunity, and Jesus says, oh, you know what? I can look compassionate. 
I could look caring. Ah, boy, this can add to my fame and my ministry. Or, here is a real opportunity to reveal truth. Here is a, a teaching moment in which I can show people what it is to be compassionate. No. No. It is Jesus being compassionate. That's the lesson. Dr. Brantley did not go to Liberia to be famous. Had he not come down with Ebola, we wouldn't even know his name. He went there out of compassion, out of a desire to try to help people, and he went with a missionary organization to the glory of God. That's the motivation. And now, we are touched by his compassion. And we are thinking about what a compassionate person he is. Let me take it a step further. They marvel at Jesus' power, but they don't marvel at his compassion. This is not the first or last time that Jesus touches a person who is defiled. It's not in our passage right, right now. We're going to see it in the future. But this really bugs the Pharisees. They get really bent out of shape when these laws of defilement are broken by Jesus. The Pharisees understood these laws as a shame or reproach upon the individual. They viewed people that were untouchable as the scum of the earth. There must be something really wrong with these people. And they looked down upon them. But the laws were not given to shame these people or to make them second-class citizens. It was to protect others. It was at the expense of these poor people with these diseases. It's like quarantining somebody today. Dr. Brantley is quarantined so that nobody else is going to get this disease. Same thing happened in the Old Testament. They're quarantined. They didn't marvel at the risk that Jesus took to touch these people. That he was willing to associate with them 
at great personal risk. Now with me, let's think through this a minute. Was Jesus really putting himself at risk in helping her? And it's quite quickly we can say, well, not really. He didn't really put himself at risk to to help her because he's not going to come down with a disease. He's not going to catch Ebola. He's not going to have a problem. So uh, that doesn't work, Pastor. Uh, Move on. Or, let's rethink it. Was he truly compassionate? Did Jesus really put himself at physical risk for the benefit of others in great need? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. All this after the Sermon on the Mount, I'm I'm trying to keep it together in context. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. And when evening had come, I'm at Matthew 8, 16. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill, in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Guess where that's taken from? Isaiah 53. Guess what the context is? Jesus is dying on the cross. Jesus didn't just put himself at risk. Jesus willingly intentionally died to deliver us from all the consequences of sin and evil. He truly had compassion on us. He really not only risked his life, but gave his life. Dr. Brantley didn't go to die. He risked his life. But he didn't go to die. He went to heal. But Jesus knew that in saving us in the fullest sense of the word, it would require his death. So here's the application. First, we should have confidence in Jesus' compassion towards us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sins. Sometimes we are judgmental and fail to show compassion until our own weaknesses are revealed. There is a tendency not to empathize with people until we're in their boat until we've experienced what they experienced, then all of a sudden the light goes on, and then all of a sudden we realize, wow, what it must be like. Because we know what it's like. We've been there. And so then we are compassionate. Heart goes out to them. You know, I didn't ever really think that much about being in a wheelchair until I was in a wheelchair for a year. 
It changed the way that I look at people in wheelchairs. I know how hard it is to go to the bathroom. I know what difficult a step or two is. Things I never thought about. All of a sudden I think about now, because I was there. And I have much greater compassion when I see someone. I feel for them. Jesus, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, but touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I think sometimes, because Jesus is perfect and holy, that we think he can't know what we're going through or can't be touched by what we are going through. That somehow you have to be in the boat to get it. But Jesus really is compassionate. And we learn that the compassion that we have received, we should manifest towards others. We should see and feel the needs of others. Not let the tyranny of the urgent keep us from being too busy to help others, even when being busy in a good thing. Jesus took the time for this woman, even though he was involved in a very, very busy work for the honor and glory of God. Not let the expectations and pressures from others keep us from being compassionate. At the same time he's having compassion on this woman, he's driving Jairus up the wall. Do you think he cared about that? Do you think he was indifferent towards that? Do you think it never entered his mind? that Jairus is going to be worried sick while he's ministering to this woman? As soon as he, he, he turns to Jairus and says, it's okay, it's okay, don't fear. She'll be all right. His compassion is big enough to handle all the conflicting issues that he faces each day. He does not let the mocking and ridicule of others keep him from being compassionate. He doesn't become vindictive. He doesn't use this as an opportunity to say, I told you so. I guess I showed you. Not at all. It teaches us not to give up on people as lost causes. Now that's difficult because we can't do what Jesus does. But there are people that we have a tendency to give up on. People that we think are beyond hope. People that we think are beyond being reached. People that we think will never change. And there are people that we don't particularly like being around. It's unpleasant. We don't want to touch them. Maybe they stink. I remember one person years ago that I, I went to visit that was dying that, that I tell you, 
they stank. I hate to say it, they stank. I'd leave the room and my eyes would be just tearing. They'd burn. There are times that we don't want to be around people. Touch them. Or have them touch us. But we ought to be compassionate. And then lastly, we're to be compassionate to people not only in their physical and material needs, but go one step further and reveal to them their spiritual need as well. The real compassion of Jesus was in not being satisfied when this woman's blood issue was taken care of. She had a greater issue of salvation, of real faith in Christ, and he met both needs. I'm thankful for the Peace Corps. I'm thankful for many humanitarian services that are going on throughout this world. The Peace Peace Corps for other kinds of organizations that are doing great good and alleviating the suffering of mankind. More power to them. It's great. It's probably the the most wonderful work that a non-believing people can do. But I'm extremely thankful for people like Kent Brandley, who out of a real concern for people are willing to risk their lives and go and minister to people. But out of their love for God, is ministering not with the Peace Corps, but with Samaritan's Purse, because there's another dimension a spiritual dimension, another need, a spiritual need. May we be a people that are truly compassionate and having care and love and concern for the physical and spiritual needs of others. May we risk our lives for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to minister. Thank you for the compassion of the Lord Jesus. And, O oh Lord, in our time of need, may we be absolutely convinced of Jesus' compassion towards us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If he would die for us in our sin, How much more is he going to watch over us in our present faith and love towards you? Thank you for the compassion of the Lord Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.